0: Get ready, it's time for Motorsports Madness. Powered by the staff at Race Chaser Online. Your motorsports, your way, every day. And now, here's your host, Jacob Seelman.
1: Oh hi, that's me. That also means I get to talk now. So, howdy y'all, and welcome to another two hours of Motorsports Madness. Here on the Performance Motorsports Network. Jacob Seelman, back again. Well, but you knew that already. I am joined... <laughs> Over at the round table, considering I'm punching buttons tonight, by our commander-in-chief, Mr. Tom Baker, senior editor at Race Chaser Online. Technically, see, that's
2: incorrect. I'm, you're not be joined by me, because I'm over here and you're over there. You're just joined in the studio. I'm sitting at the round table and you're over there at the L-shaped producer's desk, punching buttons, because... Bill from the Carolina School of Broadcasting needed a night off.
1: Well, he needed a night off, but he's doing more work than he would be here because yes. cool. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but my show, so you're still I'm uh, you're joining me. I see, okay. Anyway, whatever works. Yeah. Technology also brings us by the way, Cisco Scaramuza and Yay! we get him for a whole show this time. Dr. Dirt Steve Ovens is here early. That's going to be fun. Woohoo. We'll get to that more in just a moment. We're going to start with my two favorite words. Breaking news. Tom, guess what? What? Roger Penske may have pulled a poker move and dropped some cards on the table (laughs) a little sooner than Ford might have liked, perhaps (laughs) a bit. When you're
2: the captain, you can jump the shark because who's going to tell you not
1: to? Well, nobody. Exactly. Exactly. This is how this works. So the captain gives us breaking news, and that is something that I guess we all might have probably assumed, but we were just waiting for somebody to tell us, hey, it's actually happening. Roger says, Ford's getting a new body next year.
2: Yeah, whether they want to make one or not,
1: <laughs> that's pretty much how that,
2: whether, whether Ford knows it or not, whether Ford wants to do it or not, Ford's getting a new body
1: for 2019. Okay, so we'll back up and make this a little clearer because this all stems from the post-race press conference which took place after his driver Brad Keselowski won the clash at Daytona on Sunday afternoon
2: from the back of the field in a Ford. I just was to
1: clarify. Getting there. Okay. But thank you. You're welcome. Just trying to help. <laughs> now, Roger then was asked in said post-race press conference about Ford's deficit to the other teams from last year because, well, they only won three races on downforce tracks all year. In stark contrast, Toyota won 16 of 36 races last year and spanked everybody with a new car. Chevy revealed their Camaro and came out swinging with three cars in the top five for Daytona 500 qualifying, It looks markedly similar to the Camrys that were unveiled last year. Therefore, Ford has the oldest body in the field. That is a challenge. Roger Penske was asked about it. His response, including the tipping of the hand, is as follows.
3: For as good as today is, what kind of a concern... Uh, or challenge is it for you guys moving beyond Daytona with, uh, having the oldest body of the, of the manufacturer?
4: Look, we, we can't really use that as an excuse. There's no reason to. I think we thought the same thing coming out of St. Petersburg last year with well, our IndyCar that we might not have the power that Honda had when we won 10 races. So, you know, that's just, uh, I keep reminding the team that. And, you know, we've got a race all year. We'll have a new body next year. And I think uh, one thing that's going to be different, Dustin, is that this LIS system is going to be sure that all the cars you know, are on the same platform, and I think that's going to bring us closer together. And I think that Ford understands that, but we are absolutely all over this uh, from the standpoint of our aero program, our engine, and certainly from a handling. But just think about that one piece. It starts to bring everybody together, and I think that will certainly help us if we have any disadvantage. But I'm not going in uh, crying the blues for sure.
1: Now, that was an assist, by the way, from NBC's Dustin Long, and you heard it very clearly. We're going to have a new body next year. That means, as Tom said, Cisco, whether Ford was ready for it or not, it's happening.
5: And it'd be hard-pressed for you to say it's not going to be the Mustang after Chevrolet's moved to that car for their for their NASCAR body, and... Honestly, if you want a competing product, I say take the GT350 or the GT350R, put a ducktail spoiler on it. There you go. There's your NASCAR body, Tom. Here's
2: what I think. I thought the more entertaining part of that quote was when he talked about the new Hawkeye system, bringing everybody closer together and making sure that things are right. Uh, What gee, uh, Captain? What were
5: you implying there? it was almost like sort of a little bit of a, yeah, Brad, sort of kind of saying what we're all kind of thinking right now. (laughs) Exactly, Steve, that's not, it's not terribly surprising for Roger to be like, yeah, we know what's
6: going on. Come on guys. Well, I think that guys in the garage have got to know that. I mean, I, I think that there's enough smart people in this sport guys that, that know that, you know, there had to have been something that wasn't just exactly uh, as it should have been. So I, I'm, I'm happy for the blue oval brigade for them to, you know, kind of have the captain unofficially, you know, say what we all knew that something had to be coming down the pipeline, but Tom or, or Jacob, I got to tell you guys, I was pretty surprised at how well the Fords ran at the end of the clash on Sunday, because I, I'll be honest with you guys. I didn't expect much from them on Sunday. Well, I really see I wasn't surprised because I've said
2: all along that on the plate tracks, Jacob, the Fords really don't have any disadvantage of anything right now. They're still plate track kings. Now, here's what I think kind of cool. OK, so NASCAR brings out this new Hawkeye thing. Well, Roush Fenway goes out, buys one. Now, you say, well, that's a bad thing because it gives Roush Fenway an advantage. No, it doesn't. Actually, what it does for them is it allows them to make sure that they're closer to the tolerances before they leave the shop, and it decreases the chance that a Roush Fenway car is actually going to have to go through tech more than once.
1: Exactly. And that's not something that only Roush Fenway can do. Any team that wants to, I believe, if I'm understanding it right, can go out and buy one. (laughs)
2: It's just a million dollars.
1: Exactly. Is, is that how much it is? Mm-hmm. Something Ooh, like that. A million bucks. By the way,
6: before and, and, we get— And, Jacob, though, yeah. to your point, the Ford guys, more than any other manufacturer— would really benefit from having this because they were the ones on mile and a half that were so far behind last year.
1: Yes, absolutely right. Now, before we get too lost in discussion about the Hawkeye, I want to go back for a minute to Brad Keselowski, who we were talking about. He won the clash, by the way, after Tom said starting last, he led the most laps, (laughs) led almost all of them in the second half of the race, and... Tom mentioned that he wasn't surprised that the Fords were good on the Speedways. I wasn't surprised either. And in fact, it was one comment by one of the Fox crew that really sunk in with me and I think is a really good key as to why the Ford Speedway cars have been so good. I'll come back to that in a little bit. But first, Rogers' driver had a really good explanation, by the way, when asked about his team owner's comments. Why he wasn't able to shed any light, and I'm not even gonna preface that with anything else because, well, it's just Brad. He's funny by himself.
3: Mr. Pensky kind of let slip loose uh, that Ford's getting a new body next year. Is that something that Pensky's leading on in terms of developing, yeah. without throwing it all away? Can you, what can you tell us about it? Well, they don't tell me those kind of things because they
1: know I got a little bit of a big mouth, <laughs> and uh, they don't trust me, which is probably smart. Uh, so if he says it, I would say go with, go with him. He's always pretty trustworthy. <laughs> uh-huh. Loose, uh-huh.
2: Loose lips six ships.
1: Well, Brad's not wrong, is he? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> he was very accurate. <laughs> very accurate and very truthful. He likes to talk. Now, I want to circle back to my comment from a minute ago. We were talking about the Ford Speedway cars, and Larry McReynolds made a very astute Point, I think, and I could never corroborate at Cisco without seeing some of the engineering numbers, which I'm never going to be in a position in this sport to be able to see any of those. However, I think Larry Mack's point was accurate here when he said that watching those cars race, especially on the straightaways, that one of the reasons he believes the Fords are so much better right now than everybody else on the speedway tracks is because the drag numbers are different than the other two cars. When you can get the drag down, it actually increases the speed and makes those cars drive better. And I think, honestly, with the way the, the Fords and, you know, Keselowski in particular, but the way the Fords can defend both lines better than anybody else, I think there's probably something to that. And that may be one of the keys to why we've seen them dominate the plate races so much recently. They've won seven in a row. And if you look at the Ford versus the other
5: two cup cars, you kind of start to see what Larry's talking about because the Ford has a very smooth front end. That got changed. Remember, that was in the update to the noses that they did a couple of years ago. And, you know, they've been dynamite on the plate tracks ever since. So, I mean, there's a correlation there. Is there causation? I mean, if we got to look at the data, we can tell you, but there's definitely a
1: correlation between that less drag equal fast race car tom we do know this that is physics
2: well you know and the other piece to this is that i think if you look at the drivers for it as they have a number of drivers who are very strong drivers on plate tracks never mind what advantage the car has I mean there some of these guys, Kozlowski being one, David Reagan being another, and unfortunately had brake problems in qualifying and never got to show what his front row Ford had, but certainly when you look at uh, the time that that um, Michael McDowell ran. You know, David Reagan certainly would have at least probably equaled that. But you've got Stenhouse now. You've got some of these guys, Trevor Bain, that are very, very good on plate tracks. And I would argue Ryan Blaney fits right into that as well. Um, You know, there's a reason why I think those guys basically at the end of the clash, it was a Ford Fest.
1: Yes, it was. In fact, it was a Penske Fest because they were set to finish one two, three, until Ryan made a perhaps ill-advised move out of line, headed well, for turn one on the last checkers lap. Checkers or records, Something like that. That is what the clash is about. We're yep. going to continue to talk about Daytona Sunday on the other side of this because in addition to talking more about the clash, some car numbered 88 is on the pole for the Daytona 500. I feel like we've seen that somewhere before. Oh, wait, we have. We'll talk about the second coming of Dale Earnhardt Jr. next. You're listening to Motorsports Madness right here on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network.
3: That's 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center, rev up your career.
4: Hi, this is Austin Terrio, and you're listening to Race Talk on the Performance Motorsports Network. Now back to the show.
1: Oh, look, it's the reigning ARCA champion bringing us back from break. Yes, ARCA is a subject we're going to talk about too at some point during the next two hours because I have a lot to say about that also. But in the meantime, if you're just joining us, we're talking about the Clash and we're talking about Daytona 500 qualifying, both items making up Daytona Sunday, uh, part one that is. Here on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network, Jacob Seelman, Tom Baker, Cisco Scaramouza, and Steve Ovens with you at the round table, and I think I may have alienated Steve, and I'm glad I'm on this side of the glass and not on the side where Steve can throw something at me because I'm not sure that Steve believes my comment from just before the last break or not yet but come on man you got to give Alex Bowman some credit don't you he learned a thing or two from old junior he took that plate speed and he done did something with it
6: well yes and I'm not trying I'm not going to take anything away from Alex Bowman I think that he really is going to be the, the next young driver that is, is going to break through, I, I, I think he could have a three win season this year. I really think that he's got that capability. Now, when it comes to Hendrick Cars and qualifying at Daytona, guys, I think, you know, just about anybody that can hold a steady wheel could probably put that kind of speed down. So, next coming of Dale Jr., uh let's let's have him get about 20 or so wins before we start making those claims here. But uh, what a great run for him yesterday and what a way to to really catapult his his ride in the 88.
1: Now, let's throw a few numbers down here because that's my specialty. This was the fourth consecutive Daytona 500 poll for Hendrick Motorsports, tying the record set by longtime and late car owner Harry Rainier, who did so from 1979 to 1982 with three different drivers. Grady and ghost. Hendrick Motorsports' 12th Daytona 500 poll overall. That means they have 20% of all Daytona 500 Pole Awards in the race's history, Tom. Yes, you called it. I'll give you that. However, Jimmy Johnson was third. William Byron was fifth. I think the biggest shock here, quite honestly, was the fact that the guy who had won the last two Daytona 500 poles and the crew chief who had won the last three in a row... They were only able to muster the 10th fastest lap in Chase Elliott. I was genuinely surprised at the fact that the nine car was so far off, comparatively speaking, compared to the other Hendrick Camaros here.
2: Well, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I don't think he was that far off. I well, think you're when you're playing a game of thousands... Yeah, I mean... But you got to give credit to the rest of the cars in between. I mean, I think I think this was an extremely tight top ten, and you know, look, I, I'm not. First of all, I I think for Alex Bowman to be the second coming of Junior, he'd have to grow a beard and. and I, uh, You know, from what I know of Alex, and I've known him for just a short time now, but it it appears it might take him about three years kind to, of like to Kyle uh, Larson. get that accomplished, or William Byron. You know, so I'm not sure he's going there, but I, here's the thing that everybody has to keep in mind. 81 previous Cup Series starts for Alex Bowman. This is not a rookie, so... I don't believe for one second that he couldn't go out and have a three win season. I do believe that he will be in the playoffs. I do believe he will run for the championship. And, you know, there are people who are going to say, wow, junior must've been terrible last year because look how the '88s eight's running now. And before somebody goes down that road, just don't because they're two different drivers. It's two different scenarios. And, You know, quite frankly, I think Alex Bowman has been one of the most under-respected, young, potential, talented racers for a number of years. It's just nobody's ever given him a shot in good equipment. Look what he's doing now.
1: Ding. I mean, hey, he sat on the pole and almost won Phoenix. Just saying. (laughs)
2: Steve adding in our chat, Alex Bowman may be the only guy who could lose money in the Dollar Shave Club. Yeah,
1: Alex, wow. Bowman, Alex Bowman could not be one of the Gillette Young guns. No, I don't think, Definitely I don't no.
2: think he could pull no, that it one It just off.
6: wouldn't work. Nope. Now,
1: I want to go to the other half of the front row, Cisco, because for as surprised as some people were that Alex Bowman put Junior's 88 on the pole, I think the entire rest of the Toyota garage area was equally as surprised as was the driver himself that Denny was Hamlin was Stunned. Set, yeah, <laughs> De- Denny was legitimately stunned that he qualified second. He have
2: little faith.
1: Yeah. I, I, Denny had no faith in the Gosh. car and yet there goes the car and my goodness, he's on the front row for the 500 sure. for the first time in his career. And. You know, I, for
5: him, it's definitely got to be. He, it's not like he hasn't, you know, been amazing at Daytona as of late. So I don't think he would have had to worry too much going into the duels. But it's just, you know, phew! Thank goodness, you know, we're on the front row. We don't have to worry about it. Thank goodness. Yeah. And
1: well, let's Denny's remind ourselves. If that you he get a chance to
5: watch it back, is literally just him like. We unloaded and we thought we were garbage. We did one run and then we swapped to race runs because we didn't think we had a qualifying setup.
1: I'm not sure I totally believe, Tom, that he was in full race mode, as he put it. But, I mean, I give him credit for at least somewhat making it sound believable.
2: Well, let's put it like this. If that was full race mode, (laughs) that boy could be awfully fast on Sunday afternoon
1: uh yeah
2: i mean but look i don't think anybody is expecting the Toyotas not to look you had at the end of the first round you had four toyotas you had four chevys and you had four fords now granted you only had about four teams (laughs) represented in all of that but i mean you had you had four of each so look it's an even field going into the 500 and you know, I don't expect a lot Cisco out of Thursday night. Honestly, I think the duels are probably going to be a little bit more um, mundane or conservative than well, what they've considering been. Considering the nobody's past.
1: racing their way in. <clears throat>
2: well, but I do think that what will save them is they do pay stage points, so you could at least have that little sort of thing going on uh, in, in in each race. But other than that, Cisco. I would expect that Sunday's 500 is a pretty even field from top to bottom, and I would look to see a mix of Chevys, Toyotas, and Fords in the lead throughout the race.
1: Just ignore that first segment where we
5: just said that Ford had to Slight advantage over everybody else in the draft, but no,
1: no, no. I still totally believe that Fords are going to be the favorite come race day because that's how it's been for the last two years. See, I don't
2: think you can pick a favorite at this point. I don't think you can say that. I was talking on on Bob Steele's show this morning about that. I looking. I don't think what we learned over the weekend. I don't believe. You can choose a, a driver who has an advantage, a team who has an advantage, or a manufacturer who has an advantage right now. I think all of them are. I think this is going to be the tightest 500 we've seen maybe ever, Cisco, in terms of top to bottom quality cars that can actually go in the race. I think it's over half the field.
5: And I think it's be a question of who's going to be brave enough to actually race side by side by side.
1: Oh, you mean like they did for the first twenty-five laps? Can we get to my next gripe, please? Because yes. go ahead, the, the I didn't clash. Know you had a first gripe, the clash was bass backwards in the way it ended up here. Because well, let's just be honest, Cisco. Uh, the first twenty-five laps got me so excited; it was going to be fantastic. And then the Penske cars got to the front and drug it out single file on the high lane, and the rest of it
2: sucked.
5: But did you read what Gluck wrote on Sunday? I guess I didn't see that Gluck wrote. So Gluck brought up a couple points, and he said after talking to some of the drivers, the reason they did that is because they were way too uncomfortable in the cars to actually do anything. And that come the 500, all that goes out the window, everybody for themselves.
1: Here's what I have to say to that. Wah, 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 wah. Driving race cars is not meant to be comfortable. Get over it or get out. I'm,
2: well, that's harsh. I'm not even sure what that means, honestly, because if what they're saying is that they were uncomfortable pulling out a line and passing each other, well, <laughs> and Jacob's probably right.
5: Cause, All right. Can I— I got a quote here for you. Go so ahead. In, in his first point, uh, he talked to Eric Jones, and Eric said, quote, In keep in mind, this is Jeff Gluck, they were too much of a handful to race side-by-side side and three-wide, Eric Jones said. Earlier in the race when we were doing that, I was out of control and just uncomfortable. I had to back out and give everybody some space. Unquote. Okay, so we know one guy, Steve, who's not going to win the 500. Er-
2: yeah. I- I- you know... <laughs> If you're if you're too afraid to be uncomfortable, then you
6: you know that's there's a sure sign that Eric Jones is out. Well, Tom, there, I think there's two ways to look at this. It could either be the best 500 we've ever seen because the cars are not exactly comfortable to drive, or it could be what we saw at the end of the clash where these guys are not. But I just can't believe that these guys aren't going to be willing to make a move to win the 500. I it's don't. For one second, I don't believe that that's going to be the case. And I'm, I, I'm
2: surely not calling out Eric Jones. I was having a little fun at his expense for the comment. But you know what? It, it See, I think that's the difference, Jacob, between drivers of 40 years ago and drivers of today. These kids now, and I, I, I'm i not being negative. I'm just observing these kids now have grown up in an environment where Arrow's been everything. I mean, that's everything's stuck to the track. You could drive it hell for election into the corner. You know, it, there's it, it, we need the cars to be uncomfortable, Jacob. That's what's going to make the racing better.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Preach. We're going to break. When we come back, we will continue our Speed Weeks discussion and – perhaps transition over into looking ahead towards them, their duels on Thursday night. You're listening to Motorsports Madness as we get you set for the 60th running of the Daytona 500. And we'll be right back here on the Performance Motorsports Network, the voice of motorsports.
3: or you can email them at office at com. Drift Nirvana, getting you sideways the right way.
2: HMS Motorsport is the leader in motorsport safety. HMS serves the majority of Monster Energy NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, Camping World Truck, IndyCar, and IMSA WeatherTech teams, as well as countless SECA and club level racers and driving enthusiasts throughout North America.
5: I'm Dalton Sargent. You're listening to Race
1: Talk on Performance Motorsports Network. Welcome back to the madness here on the Performance Motorsports Network. Jacob Seelman alongside Tom Baker, Steve Olvens and Cisco Scaramuza on a Monday night talking racing and specifically right now talking Daytona Speed Weeks. So we've discussed Alex Bowman winning the poll. For the Great American Race, we have discussed Brad Keselowski winning the Clash and his team owner tipping forward, having a new body, we believe, for the 2019 Cup Series season. He tipped him all right. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't really deeply mentioned the fact that outside of Keselowski, his teammate Joey Logano, who won the Clash a year ago, finished second, and at least with about three-quarters of a lap to go, Team Penske was running 1, 2, and 3. Cisco, do we see that again potentially on Sunday afternoon in the closing laps of the 500, do you think? I, I hope not. <laughs> I'm really hoping we don't see it. Roger's uh, hoping that why? he does. Uh, you got something uh, against it's... Team
2: Penske there, Cisco? I I mean, or you just don't want to see one team. I just dominating. don't
5: want to see everybody just corporate racing at the end. Can no. we can we just have it, you know, just once, please, just an all out brawl to the end, a la Super Speedway Cup
1: on Fridays on LSRTV? Plug, wing, wing? <laughs> no, Cisco, because I'll remind you. Two years ago, that finish where we had the closest Daytona 500 finish in history between Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex, five Toyotas rode around in a line at the front of the field until about half a lap to go. Don't break my dreams like that, Jacob. Come on. I'm sorry. Somebody at this table's got to be the realist.
2: Okay, well, then I'll jump in and be the realist again and say, no, I don't think that happens, and here's why. Because there'll be other Fords in the field, along with Chevys, of course, but... Uh, Roush Fenway is going to have something to say about this and I'm telling you that Front Row Motorsports may have something to say about this too their cars are identical to the Roush Fenway Fords right down to the last piece except for the seats which of course are form fit to the drivers everything else is going to be the same for the plate races so don't count Front Row Motorsports out of this oh by the way David Reagan already got it done once at Talladega for them so I don't know that they'll have the the exact motor speed or shall I put put it like this single car speed But I promise you, they'll race well. No, I think this is a wide-open thing, Well, no, that wasn't the
1: point that Cisco was making. He doesn't want to see the whole team orders thing is what he was referring to. Oh, well, I don't think –
2: you can try that. I'm just saying I don't think – I think there are too many cars that are going to be equal for that to be an easy thing to do on Sunday. You might get two of them, but you're not going to get three or four.
1: Steve, looking at this – Going into the remainder of the week, there's been a lot of discussion how even though we're keeping tradition with having the two dual races on Thursday night, this year they've lost a little bit of their luster because we only have 40 cars attempting to qualify, albeit one of them is a white, solid white, ghost-like BK racing car that made one lap of practice. Everybody makes the show, are you a little bummed?
6: Well, I mean, yeah, it does take away that element and and that story of, you know, trying to see that team who's overcome so much to get into the Daytona 500. So, yes, you lose that storyline. But to me, that storyline doesn't overshadow the great American race. And rather they start 39 cars in the Daytona 500 or They've got 50 cars qualifying for 40 spots. That part of it doesn't make as big a deal to me. What is a big deal to me is it's the great American race. It is NASCAR Super Bowl, uh, which we run at the first race of the year, which I've always found odd. But it's that it's that race and it's special and everybody wants to win it. And it really kickstarts the the season. So I don't think it overshadows that. I don't think that's as big a deal.
1: Now, I know there are probably some people listening that are going, why are you bagging on BK Racing? Now, I'm going to clarify. I'm not actually bagging on BK Racing. I'm using that to make a point here, Tom, because it's been very well publicized, all the drama and all the trouble that has surrounded that team and is still surrounding that team as we come into the season. But the coolest thing for me so far this Speed Weeks was seeing how many other crew members in the garage area on Saturday afternoon were helping the few BK personnel that were able to make the trip down to Daytona thrash on that 23 car for a couple hours to help them make sure they could get it out get a lap of practice with Greg Alding behind the wheel, and even be eligible to qualify for the Daytona 500. Now, they did have some inspection issues on Sunday, but to see everybody come together just to help make sure that we could have a full field and help them make sure that they could do what they needed to do to attempt to qualify, that, to me, was pretty cool.
2: Well, I agree with that, and just for my two cents on this whole issue of having just enough, I'm a purist. I love to see go I love to see people go home. And not because I like seeing people go home, but because I think when you have people going home, there's a drama and a suspense. But I go watch the duels for that. And I understand that that is at Daytona, that's how you determine that. I watch the duels for the races that they are, not so much to see the fairy tale ending though, Obviously, that's always cool. It's just something I don't think we've had... I don't really think we've had a fairy tale ending, or at least not many of them, in the last four, five, six years. Honestly. Sure, we
1: have BK putting all four of their cars qual- having to qualify all four of their cars into the five hundred a couple years ago, and actually being able to pull it well, off in the duels. Brad Keselowski pushing brother Brian to make the five hundred. Well, yeah, that was okay, but I
2: mean, I, there have been some, but I just don't think we've seen it as much recently as we used to. When there was more separation amongst the whole field, I think the Daytona 500, unlike the Indy 500, where I, without bump day, to me, there's zero point watching qualifying because I don't care who wins the poll in Indy. It's irrelevant to me. I care who wins the poll at Daytona because they only take the top two. Indy takes basically the top nine now they have this fast nine thing which i think is goofy but if it it used to be that basically you had cars would work till the very end and the gun went off on bump day to get in daytona i don't feel like is that same sort of emphasis so for me i don't care i mean i what i care about is that this year the quality of the field is probably better than it's ever been and you know i think you've got half or more of the cars that are legitimate threats to win the race so and with the new pit stop situations now i think you could see some of those lower teams take advantage of mistakes made and pit road by some of the bigger teams depending on how all that goes i think the chances of a team like front row jacob winning the 500 The odds, to me, are a little better this year than they have been in the past.
1: I'm glad you brought pit stops up. Cisco, uh, we got to see our first look at the new pit stop procedure format uh, lineup with the five-man crew on Sunday during the clash. What was your take on that with most teams electing to go with two tire changers and use one tire carrier to make that five-man crew work really well? Can I say it was weird? It did look weird at first. I'm not it, I'm right there with you. It's
5: just you know, I'm so used to seeing this particular setup of how many guys are over the wall and everything. It's it's going to take some getting used to. Yes, the stops are going to be
1: slower. I think what did they say it was like 4 seconds? 168 I think was the fastest stop of the day. Was it I really? I'll say that was Kurt Bush. Yes. Wow. So I I mean
5: I don't think we're going to get a good gauge of this until we get to a proper, proper race. Then we'll be able and like we're in a position where we see battle off pit road. Like, yeah, the clash. They came down and got pit stops. But at the end of the day, it's the clash. I want to see what happens when we go to or even in the 500. How about when the 500, the teammates come down together. Let's see what it looks like then when the guys have to pull off that perfect stop.
6: Then we'll see truly where we are. Steve, any thoughts on pit road? Well, I I was pretty interested in seeing how they were all going to handle this uh, during the clash. I agree with Cisco. I I don't think that we have a true understanding of what it's going to look like come Sunday in the 500. But I think this is something that is going to be really interesting, not this weekend, guys, two or three months down the road when we get into the bulk of the season, and these guys really figure out, Tom what it is, what the right combination is, what guys doing this job, because there's going to be a lot of these guys that are doing multiple tasks on a pit stop. And, and I enjoy that part of it. I think this is really the first time that we've really looked at the entire package as a, as a race team, not just the car and the driver. Well, let's also remember
2: that in addition to one less person over the wall, what probably at least at first in the clash and probably Daytona and maybe even for another week or two after that until the guys get used to it what probably had as big of impact slowing down the pit stops was the new guns the standardized air guns because all the teams kind of took their air guns and tweaked them in the past and made them into whatever they wanted them to be. Now NASCAR is handing them out on race day. And these air guns are a little slower than what the teams are used to. So there's no doubt in my mind that that probably contributed as much because all of this is a clockwork dance, Jacob. And everything is all in synchronicity. These pit stops, they work on tenths of a second to go from one place to the next you know in in that whole sort of workflow amongst the stop and now you take an air gun and even if it takes two seconds longer a second longer to to do that part of it multiply that you know by two two or four tires you know it makes a difference so i i think it's going to be interesting the first few weeks of this season to see how these teams adapt and what they choose to do, the different ways they go about compensating for some of this stuff. I, I think it's going to be fun. And really, we didn't have, I think, maybe one um, pit road penalty by a crew member um, through the entire clash that I can recall.
1: There was one penalty that stuck out to me. Jimmy Johnson drove through too many pit stalls on pit in. Well, yeah, I think, but that was a driver. Yeah, error. that was a driver yeah. error. I, yeah, I, 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 I think there
2: may have been one maybe over the wall too soon or something.
1: Um, I don't remember exactly what it was, was, but I think so, you're right. So, anyway, pretty clean. With all that said, we're going to step aside again. When we return, we're going to shift gears for a segment and talk a little bit on the open wheel side. I know Cisco's ears will perk up, and he'll get all excited about that. We've had open testing at Phoenix. We've had uh, a Danica sighting in the open wheel world today, and we'll talk all about some of that on the other side of this. You're listening to Motorsports Madness here on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network.
8: At what age and size should a child start using a booster seat?
7: Don't assume you know it all when it comes to car seats for your child. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat and know for sure. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
0: Let's throw the green for Open Wheel Central on Motorsports Madness. Now back to the round table and Jacob Seelman.
1: Transition time here on the Madness. You are listening to the Performance Motorsports Network. I'm Jacob Seelman, joined at tonight's roundtable by Steve Ovens, Cisco Scaramuza, and Tom Baker as we talk all things motorsports, and we do shift gears right now to the open-wheel world for a few minutes. And, Cisco, we are going to talk about the Verizon IndyCar Series because there's been some on-track activity over the last couple of days. They spent two days out at... What used to be Phoenix International Raceway, I'm going to grudgingly use the correct name and don't call it... not grudgingly,
5: Ed. It's just like when Lowe's bought Charlotte or yep. bought the name rights for Charlotte.
1: Just get used to it. Yep. ISM Raceway, though, it will always be Phoenix International Raceway to me. I'm sorry. I don't care. No disrespect to ISM. I'm just a creature of habit. That's the way that is. Anyway... What we learned Cisco during 2 days in the desert is this. Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing is really 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 fast with this new package for 2018.
5: Yes, and we also learned that this package as expected
1: is going to be awesome. Did we? Yes, yes, we did. We did. Yes, we did. I don't know, boy. I-, I saw a video when they got a bunch of cars out there, and yeah. you were able to pass. You were able to dice. Okay, is going to be good. I saw a
2: few drivers talking about it that seemed disappointed with it. Um,
1: I don't know which drivers you heard from. Every- but- Cisco, everybody I heard from, they're pumped.
5: Yeah, no, I, I hope agree. So. But the biggest takeaway from this was not the car, because we'll see plenty of that coming up here in the not too distant future. The biggest news story item was that they tested the visor today, or rather Scott Dixon tested the visor. The Well they were doing wind that all weekend, the windscreen. The yeah. windscreen, yeah. yes. But but the fact that IndyCar went, We're not doing a Halo, it looks like a flip flop. Go back to like, you know, <laughs> Go back, go back to the old days. How about hashtag Lotus Forty Nine? Because that's what it looks like to me. It's like a callback to the old, you know, Formula One cars with the windscreen on them. It's awesome. It, it looks, looks
1: like a seventies Indy car. Just saying. Oh yes, like a flip
5: flop.
2: No, you're right though. It does look great. I, I was really, really surprised when uh, I saw the the way that they had designed that and, and very much impressed that the drivers were happy with it because to me it's the least we could do. I mean, I, I'm still one of these guys that says throw a doggone roll cage on the thing. You know, if that's what we have to do, it doesn't matter. Whatever it has to be to keep the guys safe. Um, but certainly I think the windscreen is a great start.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, and Scott Dixon, who, as Cisco said, tested the windscreen, appeared to be very pleased with how that went. And Cisco, what most interested me in all this is there was another very interested party paying attention to this test. you want to know who that party was? I have an idea who it is, but go ahead. It, it is comprised of three letters, F, I, and yep. A. That, that does not surprise me in the
5: least, and they should be paying attention because they're the people who, I, I'm telling you, it looks like a flip-flop. That's that's what it is. It <laughs> looks like a flip-flop, and it looks stupid, and you can't see in front Well, of the you. stupid it's,
2: part, I agree. I...
5: I never understand it, but go on FIA to over-engineer absolutely everything. To me, the windscreen, they used it in the, I mean, talk about throwback. Don't... It, you know, don't, if it works, don't change it. The windscreen's working. You know, it worked in the seventies. Use it now. It's fine, okay?
2: I'm good with that. I mean I I just I, I didn't see the whole flip flop thing when I when I was looking at pictures oh, oh, of look it. At, but look
5: at the halo. It looks like a flip. The
1: halo he's referring I, I know, to. I know. I just
2: I just didn't get flip flop out he's of that. He's right
1: though, it looks like the toe of a flip flop. It could
2: it, I I'm not gonna disagree. I I every time I think flip flop, I think Margaritaville and Jimmy Buffett and a parrot. But that's you know, I, I just But that's not
5: that's not Formula One. That's no, my own
2: Well <laughs> <laughs> No, Formula One's quite the opposite, actually. Uh, no, I look, I, I think the windscreen is a great way to go to, go down this road. And F1 ought to be looking at it. The FIA ought to be looking at it. And I'd like to think that there's a point at which the FIA w- would actually lower itself to accept the fact that somebody who isn't in the FIA could actually engineer something worthy of FIA approval.
6: <gasps> how dare you, sir?
1: <laughs> I said it. Yes, you
6: did. Tom Baker mic drop. Exactly. And he's
1: not wrong either. So, with the mic drop, I want to circle back to numbers for a minute, Cisco, because we were talking about how good Hall Letterman Lanigan was. Takuma Sato set the fastest lap across the two days of the Phoenix Open test. 19.379 189.855 miles an hour. Sato led 3 out of the 4 total sessions across the 2 days and Graham Rahal led the other one. <laughs> uh-huh. They're good. This is this is after the redesign,
5: right? Yes. Okay, so we can't look we can't really look at old data. Or can we? Um I don't know, can we? Well, can we look at old... I, has, I well, mean, the you, track changed them enough to the point where we can't look at the old lap times because I would compare it to that if we could. Uh,
2: I, I mean, it's
1: the same track. I mean, it's just reversed.
5: Yeah, it, yeah,
2: Yeah, but you know what? I'd have to think you race it differently because it is reversed. There's got to be a
1: little bit of a difference in the way you drive it now. The lap times and the speed is slightly slower, but only slightly. And that will probably... That,
2: you know, it's first time out. With a yeah, new, it was a test. You would too. think I that would exactly. get absorbed. So it's probably about the same. But, I mean, in all honesty, I, I I think comparing it to old data is worthless at this point. It's a new track. We're starting fresh. We've got a different spec, you know, kit. And so many, honestly, there's so much new here. You know, even looking at Takuma Sato over there. I mean, good grief. You know, could this be the year that Taku actually comes out? And runs for a championship in IndyCar.
5: I mean, Perhaps. he said he couldn't win the 500, but and he did. Oh, he wait, 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 wait!
2: Now, a lot of people said he couldn't win the 500. One of us picked him to win. Uh, I wonder who that
5: was. I um, wasn't on that show. I wasn't on the show then. Oh, Don't okay. Blame
2: me. Uh, it was me, Cisco. Um, no, I, I mean, I Taku's biggest obstacle has always been himself. If he gets to a point where he feels comfortable and he can just dial him his aggression button down one notch, or maybe two notches, that's a championship contender right there, and that would be awesome. If Ray Hall, I think this, I think IndyCar needs teams like Ray Hall to step up and be able to challenge Penske and, and Ganassi. I think it'd be great if that actually was an indicator of something even though we don't know if it is
1: let me read the top 10 One by track. team and then I'll read it by driver hall Letterman Lanigan Penske AJ Foyt Penske Hall Letterman Lanigan Andretti, Andretti Andretti Ganassi Penske Andretti how fun is that Sato Power Kanan Newgarden Hall Andretti Rossi Dixon Pagino Hunter Ray and all separated by a tenth and a half, Cisco. That's beautiful. And if you want
5: to look at the combined
1: results. That was the combined results. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: Uh, what? No, so wait in a minute. that case, yeah, no, that's just uh, Who is, amazing. Who's over at great. Foyt with It's
1: Kanan. so great. That would be Mateus is? Laced. It's Team Brazil. He's the one that won the Freedom 100 last year. Yes. Oh, okay. Good kid. Good kid. That's Good a kid rookie. One yes. of one,
5: two, three, four, four five who tested five that day.
1: Yes, five rookies who tested, I think, three of whom are running full-time. Robert Wickens for Schmidt-Peterson, Zach Veach for Andretti, and Laced for Foyt. Then you've got Pietro Fittipaldi, who is splitting the second Dale coin car with Zach and Demello and both of those two drivers, by the way, Tom, I know you wanted to get to this for a minute— both Fittipaldi and Clamon Mello showed themselves very, very well in that 19-coin car uh, during this two-day open test session. And then you've got Kyle Kaiser, who's going to run a part-time schedule for Coast Racing this year. But I was particularly impressed by uh, Fittipaldi's times. He was in the top 10 in a couple sessions.
2: Yeah, I mean, Pietro is a phenomenal young racer I mean the apple doesn't fall far from the tree there and his little brother Enzo I think is going to be the same not be just because they're Fittipaldi's but because they've been given the proper training and coaching up to this point and Pietro is very marketable too they're, they're extremely articulate and very very you know marketable young racers I think I think Pietro will do just fine you know, Zach Veach basically, I think, had some issues from a car standpoint, and it was a matter of them being able to have a little more time to get up to speed because I think they struggled with some things car-wise early. But all of the rookies look pretty good. And, you know, if if that, if that this is any indication, and and we've got to be careful about making that leap, if this is any indication as to what we might see on the oval tracks this year, wow. I mean, we need this parody.
1: Yes, we do. I can't believe I'm cramming this in the final minute of the segment, Tom. However, I will add this as an addendum. Danica Patrick confirms to IndyCar.com earlier today that her deal for the Indianapolis 500 is, quote, done, end quote, with a formal announcement to be forthcoming. All the chatter says Ed Carpenter Racing. Do you believe it? Well... (laughs) If she looked at the test results, she might want to go back to Ray Hall. Yeah, Ed. Ed by the Letterman, way, Ed but, was not good.
2: No, <laughs> but I I don't believe anything till I see it because this is sort of like the new thing that we do on social media. All the drivers going, hey, announcement forthcoming Tuesday at five. Shut up! Don't don't tease it. Just make it already. You know, I mean, I I don't know. I I'm sure Time's the deal is triggered. done. You know, I'm hoping that. Uh, I'm hoping it's soon because, honestly, this has dragged on long enough.
1: <laughs> well, on that note. i was getting triggered.
2: <laughs> not triggered. I'm just – I'm over it. It's like, good. Announce it. We know that this is going to be a Danica fest, and, and that's part of that, I would say, is as it should be. It's her final race, just like it's the final Daytona 500. So I think she has a better chance to win the Indy race. Correct. Depending on who she signs with. But, you know – I mean, like I said, if I were her, I'd be trying to go get the third Ray Hall car going.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. I think David Letterman would like that, too. We're going to step aside. We're at halftime, so grab yourself a snack and come back for more. We're getting down and dirty when we return because Steve-O is going to perk his ears up, sit back, relax, and we're going to talk some outlaws racing next here on Motorsports Madness. You're listening to PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network. Stay with us.
4: For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.
0: Hide the kids. It's time to get dirty with the Race Chaser Online crew. Here's your host, Jacob Seelman, with Turn 5 Live's curator of Casa de Porkchop, Stephen Evans.
1: Hi. Welcome back to Motorsports Madness. It is the start of hour number two here on the Performance Motorsports Network. If you're just joining us, good evening. If you're still joining us, well, God bless you for sticking (laughs) with us. (laughs) You are loyal fans. Yes, you are. We have talked the clash. We will talk more Daytona Speed Weeks coming up before the end of this show. We've talked Alex Bowman sitting on the pole for the Great American Race. We've talked about Roger Penske and Ford and bodies and things there. We've talked about Brad Keselowski We've talked about IndyCar and testing and Danica and all that fun stuff. Now we're going to talk some dirt, and to do that, we're going to bring back our resident dirt tracker, who has been with us so far for the entire show, Steve Ovens, rejoining the round table. and Steve-O, I'm going to backhandedly kind of give Tom a little bit of credit, because he wasn't totally wrong, but I'm still going to brag, because I was right, just saying... Four out of five during Sprint Week for the champ. And, oh, by the way, for the first time in his career, Donnie gets a real Gator.
6: Wow. And you put this perfectly, Jacob, when you posted this story. Over at RaceChaserOnline.com, your motorsports, your way every day. Find them online daily at RaceChaserOnline.com. You put it perfectly when you said... (laughs) Donnie has done just about everything you can do in a 410 sprint car. I know there's some races that he's still yet to put on the mantle, but there's not a lot of them. And now he gets to put the big gator up there. And that is huge because Donnie, for the last few seasons, you know, we have talked about Donnie winning championships in about every way that he can. But this has been pretty impressive. Even in Donnie Schatz's standards, Jacob, to come out here and win three out of four, get the big gator for Dirt Car Nationals.
1: Hang on, Steve. Hang on. Hang on. Let me correct your numbers. Four out of five. Four out of
6: five. Yep. Yeah, four out of five. Excuse me. To give four out of five and and to take home Dirt Car Nationals, I mean, we can talk about contenders all we want, but I mean— Look at this performance right out of the gate. It's just impressive. And we talked about All-Stars last week. Well, guess what? He came back and did it with the World of Outlaws, too. So we can talk contenders all we want, but they have got to go through the 15 card.
1: Ding, ding, ding. I'll take my points and my cake, and I'll eat it, too. Thank you very much. However, as I said, I will backhandedly give Tom a little bit of credit. But first... <sighs> I'll remind you. Oh, but first, first. First. Before he gives me credit. Yeah. First, <laughs> first, fourth, first, and first. That's how you win championships, folks. But that fourth place finish, he had to come from way in the back, and yes, Tom, yes, I'll give you a point here. Sheldon Hodenshield did happen to end up winning that race.
2: Correct. He also went from the back to seventh in another one, and he finished, I think, third in the last night. And Sheldon Howdenschild proved, as I said he would, that he can run with the best of them in the world of Outlaws, and he's doing it right from jump in Florida. So here's the difference between Donnie Schatz and Sheldon Howdenshield. This is as good as Donnie Schatz is ever going to get. Sheldon Howdenshield can only get better. So to me, that spells the fact that we can be very sure that Sheldon is going to be a contender throughout the season. I do see him having a David Gravel type of year. Uh, Now, (laughs) you know, you could could say, well, that still means Schatz is going to win the championship. Well, no shots, Sherlock. I mean, who else would you pick to win the championship besides Donnie Schatz? That's going out on a two-inch limb. So I do think that Sheldon Steve proved that he's going to be a contender and that team that they've got going over there at Stenhouse Marshall is only going to get stronger throughout the year.
6: Well, and, and they, those guys need to take advantage of the marketing opportunity, too, because with their main sponsor being Nas Energy, I mean, what a way to come out of the gate swinging, not only to get a, an all star victory but to come out and win the first event of the year with the world of outlaws. Yeah. And not only did he get the win, I think one of his crew guys jumped from one of the telephone poles after he took the checkered flag. <laughs> I, I did hear that. The, the, the crew, there, there was a video of that going around social media. Oh, this I weekend. There, I mean, those guys were, were rightfully pumped to, to get that win right out of the gate. As was Larson,
1: as was Ricky, as was just about everybody else.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that there is, I think that there is, that is going to be a great season for Sheldon. and, And I agree with you, Tom, you know, he's only going to get better we're seeing Donnie in his prime right now. And, yes. and I feel like we've been saying that for 10 years. Well, it's been
2: true but, for 10 years.
6: <laughs> He's <laughs> had a long prime, <laughs> but we're seeing Donnie in his prime right now. So, you know, the question is, is how long, how long can you sustain that? And, you know, I don't want to get down into that rabbit hole of, of how long can you sustain that? And how long does Donnie want to do this? Because, well, we just started the season. So let's not have that conversation, but, I mean, wow. We didn't lack for for headlines coming out of the gate for this season, Jacob.
1: No, we didn't. Can I add one more? Please do. Donnie Schatz in his opening World of Outlaws victory on Saturday of the Dirt Car Nationals. Wins career feature, number 250. Wasn't it just a couple months ago that Donnie was lamenting not being able to finish the season with number 250 because he got passed by David Gravel in the last corner of the last lap at the finale at the dirt track at Charlotte? Eh, he only had to wait two races.
6: Yeah, but uh, you know, Jacob, and and you interviewed him in person. I think that probably had to eat at Donnie more than he may have led on. Because the World Finals is such a grand stage. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Dirt Car Nationals, but, you know, the, the World Finals is really an event. That, that's really where it's at. And, uh, but, you know, yeah, he didn't have to wait long to get 250. Now, Jacob, here's the question. You know, when, when you come, when, when a driver gets to milestones like this, w- we tend to look ahead and say, what more can they accomplish? Can Donnie Shots get to 300, and how quickly do you think he will?
1: Well, if he continues averaging the wins he has over the last five years, Steve, and he runs full-time this year and next year, my vote is he'll have it done by the end of next season. That's only 25 wins a year. He's already got two this year.
6: Yeah, it, it very well could happen. I just—I do wonder at what point do— does that team not win 25 wins a year and and that is just an average year for this team yeah i've seen them you know 25 is just a so-so year in a championship yeah
2: so i mean when you when you think about that they run let's say 90 just for a round number so that's over 25% of the wins and yeah it was okay
4: we yeah, can do much. better.
2: I predicted him to win fifty last year. Obviously I you know was a little short of that because some other guys got hot at certain times during the season, but You know, I don't think 30 to 40, (laughs) I don't think it's out of the question. So I agree with Jacob. I think he hits 300 by the end of 19. But when you're running 90 races a year and you're at the top of your game like they are, it's not hard to rack up the wins when you you know have that many opportunities.
1: That is correct. Now, Steve, I'm trying to remember how on the close end of 300, Sammy's, number is and I'm going to look that up during our break here before I make my determination as to when Donnie Schatz will deadlock or pass Sammy Swindell for second on the all-time outlaws win list but I think we all know that is coming as well in our next segment I also want to talk about a little controversy imagine that that Tony Stewart stirred up during the week down in Florida yeah I'm not We'll talk all that when we come back. You're listening to The Madness here
3: on the Performance Motorsports Network, the voice of motorsports. You own a performance car and you know how to drive, but you want to learn real performance driving.
5: Hi, I'm Ben Rhodes, and you're listening to the Performance Motorsports Network, the voice of motorsports.
1: You know, Ben Rhodes brings up an interesting question as we come back from break, Steve-O. Of the current rising crop of drivers in the top three series of NASCAR, is there any of them that did not come from a predominantly dirt background that you'd like to see in a dirt car, a la a Kyle Larson or a Christopher Bell? Just curious.
6: Mm. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, so you're talking about uh, young asphalt guys coming up through that we haven't seen on dirt? Yeah. Anybody okay. that you've well, watched drive I'll, that you think I'll would be gi- cool in a dirt car? Yeah, I'll give you one. Uh, and I just watched a fantastic race with this young gentleman last night. That's Harrison Burton. Oh, I'd really my like God. In a dirt in, car? In a dirt car.
1: How much Absolutely. fun would that be? Well, it'd be fun. I don't know. That's it's that's
2: an interesting leap that you're trying to make going in, in reverse. What kind of dirt car?
1: Doesn't matter. Oh, Take your yeah. pick.
2: Well, I mean, you've got guys like uh, Justin Haley and – I guess Dipple would count as a dirt driver as much as a pavement driver, but yeah. you got guys like Haley that do, that double. I mean,
1: yeah, and Justin, by the way, did a solid job in his UMP modified. Yeah. I think their final night uh, coming up later this evening, as a matter of fact, for the Gator Championship at the Dirt Car Nationals before they turn things over to the late models and the big blocks for the remainder of the week. So. You know, but Justin, I think, has had a couple of solid finishes down there, and he's going to get ready to go back and play in the truck on Friday night for the next year Energy 250 for the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. But it was just one of those thoughts that kind of popped into my head and figured, hey, we would roll with it. But Harrison, I think, could certainly be entertaining. Oh,
2: I do, too. You just don't see that as much anymore as maybe you used to. You know, that's why I I keep going back to, you know, I – I was so lucky, Steve, to grow up in the 70s and you watch guys that would run at rolling wheels on a Friday night in a modified, run at Oswego on a Saturday night, and either go to Fulton on Sunday night, run a pavement modified or, <laughs> excuse me, go back to the dirt at Weedsport and run a run the dirt car again. I mean, you know, guys used to change surfaces regularly, sometimes even with the same car. You just don't see the asphalt to dirt thing as much as you do the dirt to asphalt thing, which is kind of
6: interesting. Oh, Absolutely. And and Tom, even to go back further of, of your, you know, racing upbringing, it, even seeing the super modifieds go from pavement to running on oh, the, the mile the fairgrounds at, at the yeah. mile. Yep, on the dirt. So. That. Couldn't do that now with the low aero cars. It
2: wouldn't work as well. But uh, yeah, that, those yeah. were good shows. Yeah, we no. digress. Sorry, Jacob. We kidnapped your show for a while, but we'll give it back.
1: It's okay. I want to take it back and talk about dirt, though, because I mentioned there was a little trouble that got stirred up. Steve-O, Tony caused <laughs> trouble. Imagine that. I, I see. Want I don't ta- think
2: Tony caused the trouble, Jacob.
1: Oh, Tony! Like, Tony was reacted to the trouble. Just the root of it. Okay, so it let's the subject of it. Lay the scenario out here, Steve. Tony Stewart wants to bring his souvenir trailer to the World of Outlaws Midway. Brian Carter says, no, there's a rule in our rule book that only full-time drivers can do that. Tony says, okay, if you're going to enforce it, I'm not going to race my car with your series. My car being the 14. Obviously, Donnie Schatz is still running for a championship. He just won four races in five nights, but... What do you make of this, Steve? I mean, it's a rule that's been in black and white since 2004. And as far as I'm concerned, he can sell his stuff at their pit. And most of those pit areas at most of the tracks that they go to, a grandstand pass will get you access into the pit area.
6: Yeah, but here's the thing. We have to look at this realistically. And and, and the realistic part of this is that even though some tracks and i'm i'm saying some very loosely some tracks do offer a pit pass with your grandstand pass the the whole idea of selling t-shirts at the trailer is just not the the the, the model has changed that Correct. doesn't happen nearly as frequently as it used to and another reason for that tom is because you know, when I was growing up in the sport back in the early 90s, mid 90s, guys stuck around after the races. Guys like Joe Plazic, Bar- Barefoot Bob McCready, yep. uh, the sprint car guys when they were in town, they stuck around in their trailers afterwards. So when the last race was done, right. the fans had a lot more interaction with these drivers and kids getting autographs and things like that. It's not that way anymore. And I can tell you, even on a local dirt track level, the guys at my local dirt track, when their feature's done, man, they're loading up and they're headed home, man. The, the days of hanging around in the pits afterwards is is gone. And it's then just, they it, wonder it's just not there anymore. They wonder why they can't get sponsors.
2: But you're right. And because you're right, that makes the argument of Tony selling shirts out of the pit area completely null and void because you you wouldn't get as many fans with access though if they knew he was going to stick around for a while they'd probably flock over now here's my issue with this this at least from what it appears was a Darren Pittman issue Darren Pittman went to Brian Carter and whined and complained because well Tony's going to sell shirts that could affect how many i sell news flash darren (laughs) you're not as popular as tony i mean nobody who was going to buy a darren Pittman shirt is going to change their mind and buy a tony stewart shirt and if they do they simply weren't a big fan of darren Pittman. and here's the second news flash dear brian carter uh who's the car owner of the championship team tony stewart Who's done more for dirt racing, particularly sprint car racing, in the last 10 years than anybody else practically in this country? Tony Stewart. My case rests. This was a really cut off your nose despite your face situation because you allowed controversy to go on where it didn't have to. This is a rule that needs to go away. If you're going to pay to race a World of Outlaws race, you should be able to sell t-shirts, in the area where the rest of the people sell T-shirts because you're a part of the series, and especially if you're going to be a full-time car owner. He should have just taken a bunch of his shirts and stuck them in Shotz's trailer and
6: dared Brian Carter in the World of Outlaws to tell him to take them out. Well, he was asked that question, Tom. He was asked why, He was asked on Twitter, why would you not just put some of your shirts in Donnie's trailer? And Tony was very upfront and saying, look, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take money out of my driver's pocket, right? Just to appease the brass at World Racing right. Group and in the World of Outlaws. Very this short-sighted. Th- absolutely. This, this is this is crazy. This is how a... often how often has the World of Outlaws used Tony Stewart's name and his popularity as a NASCAR absolutely. Monster Energy Cup Series driver? to sell tickets and put butts in the seats. And now you take that and you throw it right back in his face and say, no, you're not gonna sell t-shirts on the Midway, because drivers aren't going to buy Darren Pittman's t yeah, exactly. Are you freaking kidding me?
2: Yeah, it's very short sighted. Very short sighted. It's, it's something that I, I would expect we'd see from Brian France and NASCAR. Everything's about the letter of the rule rather than the spirit of the rule. I understand Tony himself is not running full time Outlaws, but he's been supporting that series for how many years now with at least one full time car? And for a while, he had two with Kinzer. So, I mean, give me a break. The whole thing to me was absolutely silly, Jake. Just silly.
1: Ding, ding, ding. I'll let you two rest on that because I have nothing to add. I agree with all of it. And we're just going to leave that at that. Now, Steve, is there any chance this gets reconsidered in the near future?
6: <laughs> not I don't if Daryl Pippen man. can help it. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 here's the thing, and I said this to you, Jacob. The moment we heard that this went public, to me, this is a big, big problem. Because if there was, and and I'm not as you know, I am not tied in directly with the All Star Circuit of Champions as much as I I know and and have have been a part of World of Outlaw races in the past. But to me, this, this creates an even bigger divide between these two sanctioning bodies than already existed. Yeah, you're right. And, Absolutely. And I felt like, Jake, in the, in the last two seasons, maybe three seasons, that although they are separate entities and they do their own deal, I felt like there was a lessening of that divide. I mean, look at all, look at all the stops that Tony pulls out When the World of Outlaws come to his track at Eldora, (laughs) be it paying out in purse, be it whatever these traveling teams need, which, Tom, to your point, he owns one of those. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so I think that, yes, we can say, Tom, that this is short sighted and, and it's short sighted because there's so many repercussions that could come from this that just didn't need to happen it just i, I can't I, I was baffled by this it's a rule that was put in place in 2004 and as far as i know this is one of the v- first times it's been brought up since 2004 get rid of this rule let the fans choose and buy what they want to buy because at the end of the day More people walking around with sprint car shirts, regardless of what the number is on the shirt, is better for the sport than limiting access to what the fans want to buy.
1: All right. Final minute or so of this segment. Steve, leaving Dirt Car Nationals, the Outlaws have a week off before they go to Texas. We
6: have learned what? (laughs) Well, much of what we learned at the end of the season last year. The, the 15 team is is out for blood in the early part of the year. We've seen them do this in, in previous championships. So if you were looking for the 15 car to go on the Schneid to start the year, well, you can throw that out the window. Now, Jacob, something that we didn't really talk about here at Dirt Car Nationals, and maybe this is something, a story that we're going to follow going forward, I haven't heard anything about Ford Performance. We haven't brought that up. Um, they, I don't believe they started the season with that motor package this year.
1: Correct. They did not. And a recent interview that Donnie Schatz did with our contemporaries over at Speed Sport Magazine. Leads everyone to believe that that engine will be introduced mid-season after a little bit of an additional testing package by the boss, Tony Stewart. But it sounds like by about mid-summer, maybe four to six weeks, Steve, before the Nationals, that roughly they're going to hope to have that motor completely ironed out, ready to go. And from everything that Donnie indicated, they're really, really excited about it.
6: Well, if they're excited about that and they just started the season by winning four of five, I mean, wow. <laughs> I, I, can't even, I can't even fathom that.
1: All right, I'll ask you this and then we'll go to break and when we come back we'll talk late models. Is Sheldon Hodden Shield a bona fide title contender? Did we learn enough from Volusia to believe that that 17 car will be able to sustain it over the entire grind?
6: I think that between his performances at Bubble Raceway Park and Volusia, if it was just at one track, Jacob, I would say I still need to see more. But his performances across those two tracks leads me to believe that he is a bona fide contender for the championship. The question will be, can they continue to win races? Because you're not going to top five your way to a championship Against the 15 team, you're going to have to win races and win them at a, at a big clip.
1: All right, we're going to step aside, and when we return, we're going to to the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series, and we are going to talk about, oh, eight or nine straight nights of racing, and a rivalry the likes of which we haven't seen since 2015, where Steve and I, I think, are going to jump on opposite sides of the fence again. You're listening to Motorsports Madness, and we continue
3: right after this on the Performance Motorsports Network.
5: Hi, I'm John Holloman, and you're listening to Race Talk on the Performance
3: Motorsports Network. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Motorsports Madness here on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network. Jacob Seelman, Tom Baker, and Steve Ovens around the round table. Dr. Dirt. Going to have one more topic here before we get into some more controversy. Imagine that. But that's what we do on this show because we're all crazy like that. So before we talk about the other controversy that happened during Daytona Speed Week, Steve, I want to discuss very quickly the Dirt Late Model world and in particular a rivalry that is back. You and I were on opposite sides of this rivalry the last time it appeared, albeit these two drivers were running in different series Predominantly at that point, but now we get to see it in full force. Josh Richards won the opening two races of the Lucas Oil 8 model season, and since then, he has not won a darn thing during Florida Speed Weeks, while Jonathan Davenport, the Landers Mark Martin number 49 team, have picked up three wins over the last eight days. And taken over the the early Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series championship lead in that time. How excited are you that we finally get to see a full-on Superman versus Kid Rocket dogfight, all-out war, rivalry battle in 2018? Because how soon we forget a couple years ago that. Superman was the million dollar man basically. He won everything. And Josh Richards has been the guy over the last 5 years that's won everything.
6: Yeah. And and they're on the same series now. I mean, that is absolutely wild. Um and and what we've seen in the early part of the season has been wild too. Um so so the question Jacob becomes is is what driver – do you switch now from Shepard to Davenport? Is that where you're going? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Ah, uh, that's what I thats what I get for giving him the early pick, Tom, because <laughs> I probably would have gone with Davenport myself because I think – and we talked about this on the show last Monday – I think that this pairing uh, between Davenport, the crew chief, this team, there is magic here. And there's a reason why they have won three events and, and Richards has not won uh, since winning, and sweeping opening weekend Is is this is going to be an incredible battle. And what's interesting to me about this battle is, you know, we're talking about Davenport, we're talking about Josh Richards. You know, we're not even at this point, Jacob, we're not even talking about the guys that battled for the championship last season. I mean, only Tim McCready. Out of McCready and Bloomquist are even in the top ten in points That's so far. That's
1: what I was going to get to. With, you know why we're not talking about them? Because they've dug themselves gigantic holes and they sucked during Speed Week. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm just telling it like it is. Tim McCready is ninth. He has already dug himself a three hundred and ten point hole. Scott Bloomquist is fourteenth. In Lucas soil, late model dirt series point standings through the first, I think, 11 races or so, 10 races of the season, 14th, 355 points out. Steve, we've seen guys come back, but when you dig yourself a hole like that this early, you're just asking to be screwed for two-thirds of the year.
6: I mean, you're right, Jacob. There's been nine races already this season. And and now they take off a big break. I mean, they're off for well over a month before they go to Atomic Speedway, uh, St. Patrick's Day weekend. Uh, they they go to Atomic and Brownstown in the same weekend. But Tom, you can't you at this point you can't figure nine races into the season. And I know it's early, but nine races into the season, and for Bloomquist, who's three hundred and fifty five points. You mean to tell me that you're going to be 355 points better over the rest of the season versus the the guy that was the million-dollar man here a couple seasons ago? Matched back up with the crew chief that he won all those big races with and go up against Josh Richards, who fell behind late in the season last year and, and essentially was the snake in the weeds that bit both Bloomquist and McCready uh come championship weekend this this is big they have dug themselves a gigantic hole i mean it was disaster for mccready the other night they did not make a lap in qualifying they did not make a lap in their heat race they didn't even make it out for the b main and just rode around for 15 laps in the future I mean, this is just a disaster to start the season. Well,
2: it is. And, it, you know, we've seen Scott Bloomquist capable of winning bunches of races. OK, but you've still got to be over the course of over the course of a good part of the year. You've still got to be significantly better. It's almost like he's already in a position where if we were talking about football, we would say, well, they could make the playoffs, but they need help. You know, you need, you need to win and have the other guys have enough bad outings to make up the differential. I mean, I just, it's a tough hole, but if anybody can dig out of it, certainly Scott Bloomquist can. But he's got to show something quick, Jacob.
1: Yes, yes. And with that, I'm going to use Steve as a transition point here. Because... You want to talk about a disastrous start to the season. And everybody goes, oh, he's going there. You're darn right I'm going there. You want to talk about a disastrous start to the season, Tom. We're going to go completely away from the dirt here. I take offense to the end of Saturday night's (sighs) Lucas Oil 200 opening ARCA Racing Series event. Any event that takes 75 minutes to run one lap, you got a freaking problem, man. Are you coming to me or Steve?
2: You. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to go to Steve first. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> let It's a mess, Tom. <laughs> let, let's talk about... You're a big stats guy, Jake. That's how you make your living is because you're the stat boy. Let me throw out some stats. 2017, in the fall, Talladega, Alabama, NASCAR Monster Energy Cup Series. Three red flags in the last 20 minutes. Less cars finished the race than finished the ARCA race the other day by five. Okay? And they both finished under the green. Now, you can talk about the 75 minutes if you like. It happened that there had to be a massive track cleanup. Is that ARCA's fault? No. Is the rule at fault? No. No. Who caused the wrecks, drivers, just like they did in the cup race? I didn't hear anybody after Talladega screaming that we should just finish these things under caution and not go. Look, don't throw the rule out because drivers can't drive. Now, I mean no offense to any particular driver here, but... The last restart in particular, I called that four-car wreck in turn one because you had one particular driver who, through no fault of his own, and because there is no way to get experience with this other than to learn how to do it, had ants in his pants and was all over the back bumper of the car in front of him from left to right even before they got to one. You just knew there was going to be a four-car wreck. Look, I get that we had an extra long wait here while they put enough Speedy Dry down to fill up Daytona Beach. Yeah. But but I don't think you blame the rule. And frankly, all of this, they won't have any cars left, is nonsense. And anybody who says that it was a sure thing that the eventual winner, Michael Self, was going to win, therefore we didn't need to restart it, I take umbrance with that too. We've seen cars break on the last lap, run out of fuel on the last lap, Crash on the last lap, you have no idea what would have happened. And I think Willie Mullins would have taken great umbrage with that concept because even though he may have known he couldn't outspeed Michael Self, he certainly still had a shot to win, as did anyone else behind him. And oh, by the way, there was a driver who came from the back to seventh because he had to go to the back on a penalty that, yeah, whatever. Okay. So, look total nonsense for me yeah it was a long race yeah ho-hum shame but it happens the rule stays racing should finish under green don't blame the rule for the inadequacy of the drivers
1: now i will add to this this is not the first time that we have seen extremely extended cleanups in a daytona arca race that part is frustrating. I think it what? used to be the norm about 20 or 25 years ago. What do we do to make this better, Tom? I mean, really, can't, can't we figure out how to clean up a track quicker than this? Well, so, Yes, okay. there were two I mean, big wrecks at the end, but the cleanup still should not have taken as long as it did.
2: This is a different question, and I don't know the answer to that because I'm not an authority on how to clean up a racetrack. I don't understand why they had to put that much speedy dry down. I mean, was it really that much fluid, I guess, but... I just don't know why it had to be so long. That's a whole other question. And I think we've just, it's so easy to bash the rule because it's ARCA. But I just don't think, now there was an argument made that, well, it should have just, the finish, they should have raced to the finish after uh, Holmes flipped on the backstretch. Really? Really? So, you know, that's good. Just finish the race. Don't worry about whether Brett Holmes is living or dead. Just, just you know, just finish the race, for goodness sake. It's all about the race, after all. No, you you can't do that. You got to throw the yellow, get the uh, ambulance and safety crews out there and tend to the driver that's... Look, I, I'm sorry, but I just, I don't agree that, that the rule should be changed. I do have an issue with the cleanup, but I... Only because I don't understand, like you, why it took so long. I don't know what we can do to make it better. We should get somebody from NASCAR's uh, safety division on this show and have them explain to us why it had to take well, so long. Well, it wasn't even sure. NASCAR's
1: safety division. That was all run by ARCA. Oh, well,
2: okay. So we need somebody from ARCA's safety division.
1: Yeah, either way. I will say this. We should congratulate Michael Self for winning Absolutely. the race. Second straight ARCA win for Michael, oh, by the way. Yes. And the dino car rides again. Well,
2: and look, I mean, all of this nonsense conversation that we're having over this rule to me overshadows the fact that I thought this was really a very good race up until the last. But look, we expect that this is what happens when you pack up on a plate track. And oh, by the way, those four cars were pushing and shoving each other all the way around the racetrack.
1: Which ARCA told them not to do in the corners. Well,
2: I mean, you know, then there's there's a black flag or whatever for that. You've got to enforce your driving rules. Pushing is never okay. I don't care what anybody says. I've watched it repeatedly. It's what causes wrecks in the corners.
6: There's a lot of local tracks that could take some advice from that. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I mean... I think that's something we see in motorsports across the board Yeah, is is the unwillingness to to enforce things like that. I agree 100%. And I'm not picking on, look, before anybody will chase, Purdy, listen, I don't
2: blame Chase Purdy. Yes, uh, he obviously was the one that triggered the wreck. I don't blame Chase. It's like I said before, how do you get experience pushing on a super speedway or racing on a super speedway you without do actually doing it? You have to do it. He just happened to be the driver in the car at that moment. I mean, it could have been anybody, you know, and Chase is going to have a great future in this sport. No question about it. So this, for me, is a technique thing and a rules enforcement thing. It's not a change the rule thing. Uh, Why the cleanup? Who knows? But that's a question somebody should answer.
1: Yes. We're going to step aside. Our lightning round coming up right after this. You're listening to Motorsports Madness, and we may be calmer when we come back. We may be as wild as ever. Who knows? We'll be back after this on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network.
3: How to be a great dad in 15 seconds. Bike ride. Go fish. Walk in the park. Phone call. Milkshake. Play catch. Picnic. Fly a kite. Tell jokes. Laugh. Talk. Read a story. Tell a story. Bumper car. Swing set. Bowling. Pillow fight. Cut loose. Stay tight
1: modified driver Matt Hirschman, you're listening to Motorsports Madness on the Performance Motorsports Network. Speaking of Matt Hirschman, that lets me bring in this nugget that the World Series of Asphalt Short Track Racing is kicking off their modified portion of the week at New Smyrna Speedway tonight. For the first time since 1990. Three, they have this many cars. Thirty-two tour modifieds. Tom at New Smyrna Speedway for the kickoff to the modified portion of Speedweeks down there. Good stuff. Wow.
2: Yeah, good stuff. I mean, that's it, that's a good deal for the modified crowd that goes down to watch. And you know, good to see Ryan Priest had a second car after that wild ride he took at Bronson because. Yeah, that was just nasty. A stuck throttle over the wall. I mean, you you don't see too many cars on the asphalt go out of the ballpark anymore, but a stuck throttle will do it to you.
1: So does that mean he put up a home run on the board?
2: Well, I don't know if it was a home run, but uh, he certainly parked it in that. I, I think if you ask him, he'd rather
6: just hit a single and won the race.
2: Yeah,
1: really.
6: <laughs> RBI single to win the game would have been just fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you ever... and you guys talking about Priest? it looks like Preece is actually leading right now as they come down pit road. So. Oh, good news. There you go.
1: Yeah. yeah, that that's a way to come back from a wreck. Go out and win a race. Win the opener. That's how you do that.
2: I'll tell you what. That's how Todd Gelman did it last night in the uh, K and M Pro Series East race. That was that may be the race of the year, for goodness' sake! And we we we—it's only the first one.
1: Yes, exactly. And the sad part is that we don't get to see the two of them duke it out for the title like they did last year. This season started exactly <laughs> like last season ended, and that that was going to be my second lightning round question. But Sorry. Tom, since you brought it up, I'll. Let it be the first lightning round question, and then I'll circle back to the other one that I had in mind. So, lightning round number one, describe Sunday night's NASCAR k and Pro Series East finish in one word. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I really
2: wanted two words because I would have considered cussing for the first time ever on this show, but um, (laughs) like holy and something. But I'm telling you, that was unreal. The whole race. And here's the cool part about it. When you know the drivers as well as we do, you really get the temperature of what's going on. I mean, it's not always as it appears. Those two were bumping and banging in. The average fan looking at this go, oh, there's going to be trouble. No, there's not, because the two of them are best friends. They were racing each other as hard as they had to to get the win. Burton apologized afterward, actually, for running Todd up the racetrack at one point, but I don't know why he bothered. He really didn't do anything wrong. Honestly, I thought the Todd two of them— Todd said
1: he would have done the same thing yeah, Harrison exactly. did. exactly.
2: Yeah. And what can I add that the star of that show— wasn't even in the top two at the end. It was Tyler Ankrum. that Todd's boy. Teammate. Yeah, that boy went in his first ever K&N Pro Series E start from the back to the front.
1: After blowing a twice. motor. Yeah.
2: Twice. He went from the back to the front after blowing a motor. And so he, he started spun. in the back. Spencer yeah. Davis spun him out after... Tyler kind of ran him out of racing room on the front stretch or the back stretch, which I forgot front stretch, front stretch. Then he went from the back again and still finished. I believe fifth. I mean, he probably would have been top three had he actually not had that incident with Spencer Davis. But again, there was short track bull ring racing at its finest last night. It was great.
1: Okay. You got so wound up. We never got to hear Steve's one. Sorry, word. Steve.
6: Awesome. That's my word. Awesome. It, that race last night was the talk of Channel 90 this morning. And if that doesn't give you an indication of how good that race was, I mean, they got plugged all morning long sure. today talking about how good that race was.
1: My word to describe it is future because what you saw last night is going to be the future of NASCAR's top series in a couple years. Those two. Probably battling about that heart.
2: Maybe more than or, a couple years. Eh,
1: but Sooner yeah. rather than later. Yeah. All right. Second question, and this is a fill in the blank. The finish to Saturday night's ARCA race was blank. It was self-important because
2: it was important for Michael Self to get a victory to start the season so that maybe he gets more sponsor money and more opportunities
1: to run the full season. Correct. perhaps. Please. We can hope maybe Steve.
6: To me, I, I describe it as intriguing. I say intriguing because Tom, just like you brought up in the, in the last segment, it brings up a lot of good questions it brings up questions of why did it take so long to clean up? It brings up questions of, you know, do, do the racers, although we want to encourage racing hard, do we want them beaten on each other all the way around the racetrack? And, and that leads to the question of, do we need to impose the driving rules more, uh, during those races? Um, so to me, it was intriguing. And can we also give a quick call to Natalie Decker? because
1: Starting on the pole she, and finishing fifth. She yeah.
6: started on
2: the pole. She finished fifth. Not only that, she had no cool system in the car, no air, yeah. and had to spend time in the care center after the race was over. She actually, as far as I'm concerned, she showed that she belongs in that series with those drivers. And I congratulate her on a on a really good race. The damage she had on the car, she didn't cause. It was a chain reaction right. deal. I thought she drove an excellent race for, for being in the situation she was in and having to start from the pole. Way to go, Natalie.
1: Yes, and I'll admit that I did not give her... A whole lot of credit for being able to do that before the race. But she shocked me at how agree. cool yep. she was under pressure she did a great all job. day. She really did do a great job. So congratulations, Natalie. I know looking forward now to seeing her run the remainder of the ARCA schedule and contend yep. for the championship this season. My word is painful, <laughs> to describe the end of that arc race. See, it I was, was like, just talking
2: about the finish itself, not the whole.
1: It was like pulling teeth. I guess I The end, the end of know. that race was like pulling teeth. And I just hope we can clean it up and make it better Yeah, coming up for years to come because I just, you know – I hate that the fans had to stick around to see Michael Self drive away at the end. I wish it could have been a little bit more exciting, but I also hate that they had to sit through as much red flag time as they did in the final laps. I just hope that everybody from the Speedway and from ARCA can come together and find a way to keep it from dragging on like that again my final lightning round question is simple obviously because the next time that we're going to talk national nascar is next monday after the daytona 500 at least on the biggest scale we'll have a little bit of time on our stock car show later this week but the winner of the daytona 500 will be blank yes i know tom's probably going to say any one of the 40 cars that start the field but (laughs) you don't get that luxury pick a name
2: Okay, you want a name? I, I just thought you were going to do a blank, so I was. Oh, yes, the winner
1: I, of the Daytona 500 is blank, but I was pick a name. Say we'll be wealthy and famous, but um,
2: ah, you know what? I'm going to go there. He's going to win the poll, and he's going to win the 500. The showman, Alex Bowman, gets it done in the 88.
1: You do understand that there has not been a poll winner win the Daytona 500 since 2000, right?
2: Don't care. Don't, I believe what I see. Until somebody can prove they can go faster than Alex Bowman, I'm going to pick Alex Bowman to win. What a story that would be, wouldn't it?
1: It would be, but just saying, I think we saw the driver who can go faster than Alex Bowman because he ended up in victory lane on Sunday afternoon. Fair. The winner of the Daytona 500 will be Brad Keselowski, and give Roger Penske another Harley J. Earl Trophy. Steve,
6: I believe that it will be a Penske car. However, I believe that it'll be the Menards 12 car there pulling you go. out that would have been and my making pick. a pass on the last lap. And and I think that he it's going to happen because he learned a valuable lesson on Sunday is trying to be a good teammate and, and having that reservation cost him a, a good finish in the clash, he won't make the same mistake on Sunday.
1: So you believe that Ryan Blaney is going to take his lesson and use it to win on Sunday. I like that.
4: I that like will that. be
6: as popular a win as, as you could come up with on Sunday. I, I think... That will do great things for not only Blaney, Team Penske, but NASCAR as a whole.
1: Yeah, by the way, we do know that the Twitter debate was whether Ryan Blaney is driving Paul Menard's car or whether Paul Menard is driving (laughs) Ryan Blaney's car, right? (laughs) Well,
2: you know, considering that Menard is not in Menard's colors this weekend— I think you'd have to say that it was probably neither of the above, but yeah, it it, it I I have to say that at media tour with both of them wearing the Menards livery,
1: the the, the suits. It was was interesting. It was pretty entertaining, yeah. Yes, it was. And with that, we're going to throw a checkered flag on this edition of Motorsports Madness and remind you that we will be back here next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern to break it all down and talk about the winners from Daytona Speed Weeks, including the newest champion of the great American race. Thanks to Mike Garrity, our social media partners at 3 Wide Life, as well as Bob Steele, Susan Mason, and all the staff here at the Performance Motorsports Network that make this show possible for Tom Baker, Cisco Scaramouza. and and Dr. Dirt, Steve Uvins. I'm Jacob Seelman reminding you to keep it off the wall, and we might just see you at a racetrack somewhere. Folks, Till we meet again.
0: You've been listening to Motorsports Madness with the Race Chaser Online crew. Stay tuned to Performance Motorsports Network for more race talk. For the latest motorsports news, visit racechaseronline.com. Motorsports Madness is a copyrighted production of the Performance Motorsports Network, www.performancemotorsportsnetwork.com a member of the Scorpion Radio Group Incorporated and may not be rebroadcast, replicated, or saved in any media without the explicit written permission of PMN. Check out our Facebook page or our section in the PMN website. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host, co-hosts, and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the management and ownership of either the Performance Motorsports Network or Scorpion Radio Group Incorporated, the advertisers, or the marketing partners. Be listening again next week when the madness returns on Monday night at 7 Eastern. Until then, keep it off the wall and keep the shiny side up.